It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits on a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone, home run, and a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Flippin' Bats with your host, Ben Verlander. Great, great episode this week. Of course, the storylines. We also have Yankee legend Bernie Williams joining the show. Four-time World Series champion, five-time All-Star, an absolute legend. So I cannot wait for that. Of course, we have the hot mail questions where you guys call in. It is one of my favorite parts of the show and six-tool player of the week. But let's get right into it. Some of the biggest news from this past week. Albert Pujols is going to the Los Angeles Dodgers? Seemed a little weird to me, but hey, the machine, the absolute legend, is shifting cities in LA and is now a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I actually wanted to bring in Pedro Mora of the MLB on Fox team to get his insight on this work with the Dodgers for years. Uh, and now he's with us, MLB on Fox. So Pedro, first off, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me, man. What's, what's the deal with this Pujols signing? Were, were you a little shocked Pujols to the Dodgers? I was, I was. It, it turns out it's a little bit more palatable for a, um, for a 41-year-old to be a part-time player on a really good team than on a mediocre team. And so I think that's what we're seeing with the, uh, with the pool. He was not willing to fill this role with the Angels, but he's willing to do it here in Los Angeles. It's certainly surprising. Uh, it also makes some sense when you think about how the Dodgers value veterans and, uh, and how they can find ways to incorporate players into part-time roles. So what is their plan for him in a part-time role? Is he more than just a pinch hitter once a game? I think he's mostly a pinch hitter once a game, but conveniently, or inconveniently, depending on how you look at it, shortly after he agreed to deal with the Dodgers, Corey Seager went down with an injury, which opens up first base against lefties at least, where Max Muncy can slide over to second base and Gavin Lux can slide to shortstop to replace Seager. So it, it all opened up even better for Pujols, you know, within 10 hours or so after he agreed to that deal with the Dodgers. So I do eventually, I, I, I will get to, to Seager, but more on, on Pujols, it kind of seems like, based off of what you said, he's willing to do the exact same role as he would have had with the Angels. He just wants to win. Yeah, I mean, can you, bl can you blame the man? If, if you're going to sign with one team that has the best chance to win the World Series, and granted, the Dodgers have not started the first seven weeks of the season like you want, uh, but <laughs> who, who would you rather be on if you want to win than the Los Angeles Dodgers? And so... It makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's also possible that he had to confront, you know, only part-time roles being available as of, uh, you know, as of this week when he became a free agent. So he did, he did, if, if he had a, his pick of part-time roles, he picked the, maybe the best one. Do you think he would, have, first off, absolutely, like you said, the Dodgers haven't gotten off to the best start and they're still over 500 and, and right in the thick of things in the division. And clearly, I, I think still the odds on favor to, to win the World Series. So not a bad part-time choice. Do you think he would have rather gone to a team that could have used, you know, just plugged him in at DH, let's say the, the Royals or a team that is not going to, to contend, we don't think, at this point in the year and been a full-time DH? Or would he have rather been a part-time, pinch-hitting, once-a-game kind of guy on a team that's going to win? It's a good question, Ben. You know, Pujols hasn't commented since, um, since he um, was, since the uh, unceremonious release of the Angels 
bestowed on him. He, he, he'll be speaking to reporters later today, and maybe he'll shed some light on, on that specifically. But it's a, it's, it's a funny thing, right? He hasn't been very good against right-handed pitching in recent years. It's just that Alvin doesn't admit that. You know, not someone who makes a habit of admitting his flaws publicly. But I, I'm sure he's aware of it to some to some degree, and, and he probably you know you, you could I could I could see how he thinks this is a good fit for him, you know, where it allows him to focus on what he's good at. And the Dodgers pretty clearly see that too. Do you think there was any if he's fine with this role? Because everybody when when he first you know was no longer with the Angels was saying, well, the Cardinals are out of the equation because they're a National League team. Uh, do you think? at this point, knowing he ended up signing here, that he potentially reached out to the Cardinals saying he was willing to be in a role like this? Because they're, they're a good team and, and potentially could win that division for sure in the Central. Yeah, I don't know specifically on, on the Cardinals and, and the uh, potential fit that, and, and whether you know, there was a reach out on which side. Um, I do know that there's nobody offers more flexibility in their position player group than the Dodgers do, right? You know, Paul Goldschmidt doesn't slide over to play second base some days, right? Like Max right. Muncy. Play third too if you know if there's a, a day off needed for, for Turner or something of that sort. So that's what the Dodgers have created for themselves with this flexibility with their you know the entire arrangement of, of guys who slide from position to position. So I think it's it's fair to say that if you were going to be a part time player, you know LA gives you maybe the the best likelihood of getting semi regular at bats. Yep, I totally agree. Pedro, thank you so much, man, for joining me for a few minutes yeah. to talk some pool holes, and I'm pumped to have you as a part of this team. So thanks, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Of course. So, Pujols is now with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Here's kind of my thoughts. I was, I was shocked when the news came out. I, I thought for sure he'd end up at, at an American League team where he could DH a couple of times a week. But the more I think about this, the more it makes sense. You know, one, he wants to win. Two, he's probably going to get an at-bat. Every day almost. He, he will be pinch hitting a lot. And not only that, he'll get some starts. Look, the Dodgers are beat up right now. We all know it. So at least for the, uh, the first little while, he's going to be getting some starts. Pujols will get to play some first base. Muncie will move over to second with Seager being out. Gavin Lux moves over to, over to short, which moves Chris Taylor out to the outfield. It, it makes a lot of sense now. And the guy wants to win. I totally understand that. And uh, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I like this move of Albert Pujols going to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And who knows? Maybe we'll get a, an NLCS showdown of Dodgers and Cardinals and Pujols pinch hits and hits a, a walk-off homer to, to advance to the World Series. And it sort of be a poetic end to the, the career of an absolute legend of Albert Pujols. But moving on in storylines of the week, the Oakland Athletics, it came out earlier this week that MLB wants them to move. If they can't figure it out in Oakland, if they can't get a new stadium done, MLB wants them to look into poss possible relocation sites. Here's my thoughts on it. I want them to stay in Oakland. I know it's the cool and popular thing to talk about them moving. Ah, they should move here. They should move there. I want them to get this done. I've been to a, a few playoff games in Oakland. They are so loud and so fun. And these fans in Oakland really care about their A's. They deserve better than the Oakland Coliseum. 
They do. The A's do. The A's have been a competitive baseball team for a long time. Not that that's a direct correlation of deserving a better stadium. But the team deserves better. The fans deserve better. I don't care what the problem is in Oakland and why they aren't building a new stadium. I just want them to get it done. I'm sure it's a lot of money and where the money's going to come from and blah, blah, blah. But I'm glad MLB did this. They put the clamp down on them and said, if you don't get it done, fine. But we need them to move elsewhere. So I hope they do get it done. But if they don't, I do have a few cities I'd like to see them relocate to. Uh, we got Portland. I, I actually wrote about this for, for Fox Sports. Uh, five possible relocation spots. Portland, Oregon. They, they've been in the talks about it for a long time, getting an expansion team. So that could be a good one. Charlotte, North Carolina. They have a AAA team that's always at the top of the league in, in attendance. That would be a perfect fit. Vegas, because of course Vegas. Another Oakland team moving to Vegas. Poor Oakland, man. All these teams are moving out. The Raiders moved to Oakland. The, the Warriors out over to San Fran. Poor Oakland fans, man. They deserve better. Montreal would be a good one, a good fit. Having a team back in Montreal. They were there a while ago. I think it's time to get them another team. And, of course, my favorite pick would be Nashville. I think it's long overdue that we have a team in Nashville. So that would be a potential expansion site or relocation site for the A's as well. But, look, I, I love the Oakland fans, and, and they deserve better. All right, and then next storyline from this past week. Manny Machado against the Cardinals, sliding in the middle of the baseline, taking out the base runner. Look, this was a big – it became a big conversation piece. It wasn't a big deal at the time, and then it got slowed down and broken down and thought, was this play kind of dirty? Machado has that stigma about him. He's done some things in the past that rubbed some people the wrong way. Was this one of those? Was this a dirty play? No. No, it wasn't. And I'm tired of hearing people saying this was a dirty play. Look, as a baseball player, my job is to avoid the double play. Let me show you what I see when this play is broken down. I see a player running full speed to second base. I see him, I see the second baseman field the ball. Machado thinks he's going to flip it to second as he normally would, but he runs up in the baseline to tag out Machado and try and get a double play. The quick tag and throw to first. Machado, you can see it, is a little thrown off, slows down, and immediately gets down. What happened as a result is the fielder was coming at him. He was running towards second. They collide. The second baseman flips over him. Uh, Machado immediately gets up, gets up, makes sure everyone is okay, and goes off the field. Nobody raised any stink about it. Nobody. Not the Cardinals. Not anybody until later when it was broken down. I cannot stress this enough. This is what, as a base runner, I am taught to do. The baseline is mine. From first base to second base, that 90 feet is mine. If you get in my way, that's why there's the rule, impeding the runner. You can't impede the runner when he has the right to second base. What we're also taught is when a, when a defender comes to us and tries to do what that second baseman did, he did the right thing. He went at Machado, tried to start the double play, tag him and throw to first. We are taught as a base runner to get down, to make the tag harder, not run off in any direction, 
because at that point you're immediately called out and he can just throw it at first. We are taught to get down and try and avoid the tag. And that is what Machado does there. He's running to second. His momentum is still going that way. The second baseman's coming this way. Machado gets down and it ends up with the second baseman tumbling over him. Very, very clean play in my opinion, not dirty in any sense. And, 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 and it's good from both sides. It's good from the defender. It's good from Machado. They both tried to do the right thing there. They both did do the right thing. So anybody out there saying that this play is dirty is either in denial and, and, and has it out for Manny Machado because of, of what he's done in the past and you think this may be dirty, or they just don't know the game of baseball because I promise you this is what we're taught to do. And thankfully, this didn't end in an injury. It potentially could have, but it still wouldn't have been anybody's fault had it. Both players were doing exactly what they're taught to do, and that's how it ended up. Um, and so a very clean play on both sides of the ball. So that does it for uh, storylines of the week. But now, absolute legend joins me. Yankees legend, number 51, retired in Yankee history, four-time champ, five-time All-Star, has won a batting title. This guy, the honors go on and on and on for him. So I wanted to welcome Yankee, welcome in Yankee legend, Bernie Williams. Bernie, welcome in. Thank you so much for joining me, dude. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. So right off the top, trivia, career trivia. We got a leaderboard. Let's see how you do, all right? Right off the top. All right, 60 seconds. Who is your first career MLB home run off of? I am going to say Chuck Finley. Correct. Back in 91. Most, yes. Who was your most recent hit off of, your last hit of your career? Ooh, I have no idea. That one, I think it was in uh, against Toronto in, in Yankee Stadium, but I don't remember the picture. <laughs> I think it was a lefty. Yeah. Who was your first career hit but off I don't of? Remember. First career hit off? Um, Oh man, come on! He, he was a closer for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Um, oh man, name really escapes my mind. But <laughs> I know he, he was a closer for the Baltimore Orioles in 1991. All right, who was your first career strikeout against? Oh, that, that should have been really early. I probably Chuck Finley did it, or yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember yes. that. Who batted? Who? Where did you bat in your first major league AB? Where in the lineup? Uh, I'm. Must have been either eighth or ninth. Yeah, maybe. Hey, uh, what was your jersey number on your debut? Um, I think it was fifty-one. Was it fifty-one? Yep, fifty-one. All right. All right. That's time. That's time. All right. All right. Pretty good. Pretty good. And it was Chuck Finley. Whoa, and your man, most, your, the last hit of your career was against Scott Downs. You had the team right. Oh, right. Yeah. You yeah, had the team, yeah. right? I remember because this is a funny story. Uh, and uh, actually, I, I give him a lot of credit. After I hit that base hit, he actually tipped his cat. Uh, That's cool. I do remember that. You know, last thing I, I, I remember about that. Yeah, that was uh, very classy. That's cool. So, all right. So, I wanted to get into to, to your career in the beginning. What was it like growing up playing baseball in Puerto Rico? Uh, it was great. Um, I mean, I was in a situation where my mom and my dad wanted me and my brother to 
got out of the house and uh, started playing sports around eight, seven, eight years old. And uh, she got us in uh, this little league team that uh, we really didn't know anything about uh, sports or baseball or, you know, for that matter. And uh, we really struggled that year, especially myself, uh, because, you know, you know, in Puerto Rico and most Latin American countries, uh, they start playing uh, as they're, you know, in their diapers, you know, playing t-ball. So at eight years old, I was way behind the game. Uh, uh, so, but uh, it, my dad actually, after that little league season, took me and my brother every day after school uh, and uh, really spend the time with us, you know, teaching us, you know, how to play the game, how to catch, how to grow, how to hit, uh, and giving us all these really great life lessons that, uh, yeah, I take up to up to this day. Uh, uh, then, you know, the evolution of my uh, Little League career uh, took me to, you know, playing in the 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and at 16, I got signed to play professional baseball uh, with the New York Yankees. Uh, but those years in Little League were, I mean, I wasn't really a big prospect back then. I don't remember. The only thing that I could do well was run. I had this background <laughs> in, in, uh, uh, in uh, track and field. But, I, I mean, if you would have told me at nine years old or ten, oh, you're going to be this major league baseball player. I'm going to play 16 years with the Yankees. I would say, you're absolutely nuts. <laughs> but I guess it just kind of turned out being that way. Uh, so, but I had a, a lot of great times, you know, playing little leagues and then uh, signed really young as a professional uh, baseball player playing in the minor leagues. Yeah, so you mentioned how in Latin America it starts so young. And, and you also had a tryout in Miami at 16 years old. Bernie, when I was 16, I was learning the gas pedal from the break. And you're having a tryout in Miami for Major League Baseball <laughs> team. How, how did that go? It was awful. It was, I have, you know, <laughs> uh, the fact that they signed me was nothing short of a miracle. I think I was just kind of battling the flu. Uh, my uh, the scout that saw me at the time, uh, Mr. Roberto Rivera, uh, you know, made his soul uh, rest in peace. Uh, he uh, was with me at the time, and I remember just seeing everything green, having this huge headache, body ache. I think I had fever at the time. Uh, and I went through the tryout saying, these guys are think that I am not even worth the time. And uh, I, oddly enough for me, you know, they went, uh, well, I, I think we have, uh, you, you, you have the potential to play with, with us. And uh, we want to extend you uh, an opportunity to play in the minor leagues. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, then it was just trying to convince my parents that that was a good option because my mom was an educator and uh, all these sports and arts and all that thing was just basically trying to get us to be well-rounded, you know, educate. Uh, this is going to be your livelihood or anything like that. Uh, so uh, we had to convince her that it was going to be a good move uh, for me to sign going into the unknown <laughs> at 17 right after high school to go into this uh pursue of this major league baseball career is like, dude, man, what are you do? Uh, uh, so I think it was uh, uh, a really uh, interesting time in my life where we had to make some hard decisions. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously in hindsight, uh, it was probably the right decision that I made at the time. I, I think so, man. I think so. So then you sign with the Yankees, you go into the minor leagues, and this is a question I ask all of my guests. What is one memory from the minor leagues that still sticks with you throughout your career and to this day? Um, wow. 
You know what? I think it was probably the first time that I uh, stepped into the uh, like the first uh, minor league game that I that I went to, and I was part of. Uh, I remember being in uh, you know with the Yankees at Ed Smith Complex, Ed, Ed Smith Complex in Sarasota, Florida. We used to call it Sarah Sun because it was like 95 degrees uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it seems like. Uh, and uh, we were playing a complex that had uh, uh, the Dodgers, the Rangers, and uh, I think it was another team. But uh, I was playing against Juan Gonzalez. Uh, Sammy Sosa was uh, playing with the Rangers at that time. Uh, and uh, I think Ray Sanchez, he actually played in the major leagues, you know, with a whole bunch of teams. Uh, uh, and I had a, a lot of... Uh, people that I played with and that against uh, in, in the major leagues. And uh, we have this sort of commonality in, in our start, you know, the humble beginnings uh, in the Florida, uh, uh, in the Sarasota League in Florida. Uh, and then I guess, you know, fast forward uh, uh, a few years after that, there was a time that they sent me down uh, uh, from uh, AAA. I was about to make it to the big leagues. And then uh, the administration there, the, the, the scouting uh, and the minor league uh, people decided that they were not going to rush me. Uh, so they sent me down to double A and I was about to quit. I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> this is not for me. And I remember calling my mom at the time and she told me, uh, if you quit this, you will quit everything else uh, in your life. So you make sure that you put your best effort there and have them, if you don't, if you, if they think that you don't, uh, really, uh, uh, you can do the job, have them tell you that, but you're not going to quit. Uh, and I took her words, you know, uh, and actually made, uh, gave me more motivation to uh, work even harder. Uh, and, uh, you know, two years later, I was, uh, I was in the big leagues. Uh, so, I mean, that uh, a little bit of advice from my mom uh, really took me a long way, uh, and, uh, you know, at that time. So it, it wasn't an easy journey for you, and, and it was a lot of up and down. You said it. You, you almost felt like you were going to quit. What was the moment when you got to the big leagues that you were like, I, I belong here. I know I now belong here. Uh, I think it was probably because I think I, uh, I remember spending parts of the 91 season and 92 season sort of in this, you know, what they call the shuffle. Uh, or the shuttle, the shuttle, rather, uh, is, you know, this time when you're between AAA and, and the big leagues. And they have, uh, so you don't really feel like you belong in the big leagues when you're in, in that, you know, uh, yeah. that ordeal happening. It wasn't until uh, 1993 when they made the trade for uh, Paul O'Neill. Uh, you know, uh, Roberto Kelly was this regular center fielder, and they traded him to Cincinnati for Paul O'Neill. O'Neill ended up uh, being the right fielder. And uh, I guess, you know, that's when they said, hey, uh, this is your position to lose. So we're going to pencil you in. And the emphasis of pencil. <laughs> so you, you were issue number 51 when you got to the big leagues. But I know throughout Hello. the course of I know throughout the course of your career, Steinbrenner actually said he would support you moving to number two or number six. Now, a single-digit number with the Yankees is 
is something to there's you know there's something to be said about those numbers and you actually stuck with 51 what was your reasoning with that yeah i mean i, I don't know i got mixed feelings about that you know there's times that i say you know what you should have you should have gone down and uh, take one of those numbers uh and uh i think at the time i don't know if uh, two was available because i think the short stop that was uh playing before Derek uh, was wearing number two, but actually number six was available. And I remember Buck Showalter telling me, uh, hey, uh, uh, number six is available and uh, you can have it if you want it. And I talked to a whole bunch of people, you know, and they said, well, I mean, You've made it to the big one. You've been wearing it for a number of years. You know, as well stick with it. You know, it's a, it might be your lucky number. You know, whatever. So I never really take the you know took the chance to uh, go into the single uh, single digit number, whatever. And now sometimes I regret it because uh, there's no single digit number to be found in the Yankee organization right now. And uh, I think you know I had a, a chance to have that and uh, I didn't. But uh, still, uh, I figure that you know. If that's the only thing that I have to worry about in my career, I think I uh, had a good career. <laughs> I agree, man. And, and you made 51 your own, and you owned it, and it's retired. And it, I, I'm glad you didn't switch. But So you are a four-time World Series champion. Now, I want to get a memory from you, like your, your most important, a memory that sticks out to you from each World Series, like the, the best memory you have from it. So in 96 against the Atlanta Braves. What's one memory from that World Series? Uh, Tigger State Parade. I mean, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Uh, we had uh, this uh, parade uh, from the, what they call the Canyon of Heroes, going from Battery Park in Manhattan all, to, all the way to uh, City Hall. Uh, and, you know, up, you know I, I think it was like, I don't know how many blocks, but uh, I remember uh, having, uh, just looking at a sea of people, uh, that probably they cram about 8 million people. <laughs> I think it was like four or 5 million people in like 12 <laughs> block space. Uh, and uh, I, that's all I saw, man. It was just incredible. People throwing all kinds of confetti and, uh, it was just insane. Uh, they have the big 20 foot, uh, feet Python there. Uh, and just to see the love, uh, a whole city just pouring up, uh, pouring out of uh, love uh, for their beloved team that has just won the World Series. Uh, it was just an experience that I will never forget. 96, I mean, I, the, the series was great. The season was amazing. But that figure tape parade was just the most amazing <laughs> thing that I've ever saw at, at that time. Uh, 98, the Padres. Well, 98 was a, a really... Uh, big season for me individually. I think arguably the best season that I had in my career. I mean, 88, uh, 98 and 99, uh, I was uh, able to uh, win the batting title and then I won the uh, gold glove uh, for defense and uh, we won the World Series. And I remember uh, sweeping the Padres uh, in that World Series. And uh, it seems like that team was invincible. We had uh, a meeting uh, late, uh, early on in the season Joe Torre got us together. We were struggling a little bit, and he kind of laid the law, and everybody had a chance to say something a little bit uh, during the course of that meeting. And then after that, it became, I think it became uh, the, the beginning of this uh, great run. That team was the one that sort of set the tone uh, 
so I think overall, I wouldn't say the World Series, but the whole year, the whole season was uh, special for me, 1998. Well, you said that year kind of set the tone, and, and I can't argue with you because the very next year against the Atlanta Braves, you guys did it again. Hit me with a memory from that World Series. Uh, 1999 um, was uh, the Braves uh, after they were, you know, sort of uh, upset. I mean, in many ways, in 96, you know, I think they were coming down and uh, going back to, you know, get some revenge. And uh, I remember that, uh, I think it was, um, um, man, uh, you know, winning that series, you know, sort of cemented our position. I mean, repeating going back to back, uh, it was just unbelievable. Uh, it really set uh, the tone even further for people that, uh, you know, before 96, uh, before 97, uh, we had a hard time getting free agents to, to <laughs> try to get to play for the Yankees. I didn't think, you know, they were like, you know, trying to play for New York. You know, maybe uh, uh, they didn't really agree with a lot of the uh, uh, Mr. Steinberg's policies or, you know, uh, uh, demeanor. Uh, but after that 99 season, uh, it seems like it, everybody wanted to have a, a, a part of that, you know, sort of winning attitude that we had that we set the tone in. Uh, and it was uh, just a special year as well. You know, that whole run, man, it was 90, 96, 98, 99, 2000. And I, sometimes I even take 2001 uh, uh, as being, you know, so, so, uh, so, uh, so special in my career and for us as a team as well. And then... And you touched on it. The last one, 2000, the Subway Series. You guys beat the Mets in the World Series. What's the memory that sticks out from that one? Well, the, the memory that sticks out, well, two memories. One, catching the, the very last out. Uh, Mariano Rivera pitched, uh, you know, fastball to uh, uh, Mike Piazza that uh, for all practical purposes, I thought he was going to be out, you know, out and uh, over the fence. And uh, I was able to make that catch. Uh, and then I don't remember anything else after I caught that ball except for carrying uh, Mr. Joe Torre in our shoulders, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, Shea Stadium. I, I remember him, like, you know, even crying, you know, shedding a tear and having this really emotional moment uh, playing the Mets and the Yankees. It was just uh, so special. Uh, but, I mean, uh, for me, carrying Joe Torre, uh, and uh, being part of that uh, crew that uh, we rally around uh, our manager, and uh, we gave him a lot of credit, you know, for that great run that we had. And uh, uh, he was very emotional at that time, and I think we we felt it, uh, a, a lot of gratitude, and uh, uh, it, it was just incredible to to experience that. God, that's so awesome, man. Um, so you hit you hit 22 postseason home runs. Do you have a favorite? No. No, I don't. <laughs> you hit 22 of them in the postseason. That's a pretty great. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't hit many. I didn't hit many. I don't think I hit 300. So every one of those that I hit in the postseason, every one of them are special. <laughs> um, was one of those World Series of those four, do you have a favorite one of them? No, I think all of them, uh, even the ones that we lost. Uh, I remember losing in 2001 and 2003. Uh, the 2001 was probably the most, uh, like I say, I've said this in, in, in many conversations before, uh, the fact that we were part of the, uh, uh, I guess the healing process of the nation after 
the tragic events of 9-11, uh, it seems like the whole country rallied uh, around uh, the Yankees uh, playing the Diamondbacks. Uh, and, uh, you know, being part of that whole process, uh, going from I don't know what uh, to do, it seems like there's a lot more important things to think about uh, in baseball. Uh, I mean, not in baseball, other than baseball, you know, uh, and uh, we uh, sort of uh, gravitated into this role of uh, bringing a little bit of normalcy to that whole situation where the, uh, the country was in uh, such despair, uh, uh, trying to figure out, you know, uh, you know what were we going to do next, uh, having the opportunity to be part of that sort of distraction uh, to give, uh, the, you know, the country a, a bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say, say rest, but just a little bit of a normalcy, sense of normalcy after that whole ordeal. Uh, to me, uh, it, it was just a, a very proud moment in my career. Uh, even though we lost the series, uh, uh, you know, against a very uh, well-crafted uh, Diamondback team, uh, I really see, uh, feel a, a great sense of pride uh, for being part of that process uh, in, uh, at, that, at that time uh, in, in our career. I want to – that 98 team kind of started the run for you guys. And you said it's almost like something clicked for you guys. What, what was it with that 98 team that got the ball rolling and turned you guys into just back-to-back-to-back World Series champs? Well, I think, you know, I, I, I said a little bit about it uh, before. Uh, I think it was just the, the fact that we started um, kind of very slow. I think Joe uh, Torre, the, our manager at the time, saw a trend, a trend that he didn't want to, he wasn't happy with. So I remember having this uh, players meeting in uh, Seattle uh, where he kind of, you know, sort of laid it out, you know, uh, on, on us. He's saying, you know, you guys are a much better team that you're showing. Uh, and uh, he really, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen Joe Torre mad uh, maybe a handful of times in the, I don't know, 20-plus years that I've known him. Uh, and that was one of those times, you know, he was very upset. Uh, and he was, you know, calling out, you know, plays and situations in which he knew that uh, we could do a lot better. And I think that was probably one of the pivotal moments in the season where everybody started really taking, uh, paying attention to their own individual work and uh, having this sort of collective attitude that we're just going to go out there and try to do the best that we can. And that sort of translated into this snowball effect that we just kept winning and winning and winning and winning. Uh, you know, by the time the summer came, uh, we were pretty well into, you know, I don't know, we were lose maybe – uh, two out of every 10 games, you know, and uh, we had this attitude that every game that we were going to play, we had a really good chance to win. Uh, and that sort of propelled us to the postseason. Uh, I think at the time, we sort of broke the record for regular season wins. And uh, we really took it to heart. I said, the regular season doesn't matter. You know, what matters is finishing the job. And, uh, you know, you can have those teams in, in, in those records for the regular season, but if you don't win the World Series, all of that work, you know, had, probably would amount to nothing. So we really had in our minds having this, having this attitude of finishing uh, the job that we started at the beginning of the season and uh, winning the World Series just really put a, a, a little bit of an icing uh, of that really great cake that we were having. You know, it was just an amazing uh, season that we had where – Every time we came to the stadium, every time we went on the road, uh, this intimidation factor that we have, you know, having this great bullpen with Mariano, anchored by Mariano, or Pineda, 
uh, and this whole lineup that we we didn't have a lot of sluggers in the team, but we have all across the board uh, this great, you know, 20, I mean, 50 to 20 home runs, 70 to maybe 85 runs batter in all across the board. Everybody have uh, being tough outs, working the pitchers to maybe just getting to that bullpen between the fifth and the sixth inning. And then if we had the game was closed uh, after the seventh or eighth, you know, forget it because we had yeah. the greatest bullpen. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, anchored by Mariano, which is arguably the best closer in the history of the game. I mean, it was just such a winning combination, uh, such a rare thing that would, you know, happen. And uh, uh, in hindsight, you know, we realized how difficult it was to uh, to have that accomplished. Uh, and I feel a lot of pride in that. That 98 team. How are you guys comparing against the 2021 New York Yankees? And how would you fare in baseball today? Well, I think it was a different time. Uh, I think the game uh, was different. We played the game a little bit different than you know than than we that uh, than the Yankees. I think are playing right now. Uh, I think you know utilizing all the analytics and all the uh, numbers and all the you know all these uh, 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 plethora of information that players have available at this time, uh, it might have uh, maybe affect the way that they go about. Uh, their business on a daily basis. Uh, I think we did have access to a lot of that information. Uh, I don't think it was as prevalent uh, as it is now. You know, all this like, you know, exit velocity and the spin rate and all this, you know, all these things that are really uh, uh, making a difference in the way that players approach the game. Uh, I think it does uh, make a difference. I think we play a lot more uh, little ball, you know, moving the runners over, bunting, uh, uh, and uh, just kind of, you know, focusing uh, a little bit more on the fundamentals of the game. Uh, uh, we uh, were trying to play, you know, trying to get people on base and, and try to wear people down. Uh, you know, more of a, you know, the, uh, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, getting away from that a little bit, uh, you know, having uh, this, this attitude of hitting, you know, like the three home run, uh, the three run home run thing, you know, uh, I think it has been a little bit of a change, uh, but I mean, this team, uh, the 2021 uh, Yankees is a very talented team. And I think yeah. they're actually putting it together right now, uh, having a, a nice stretch of games going. Uh, and uh, I think they're going to be a team that is going to have some impact in, the, in this uh, season. Uh, uh, hopefully everybody will remain uh, healthy uh, and uh, you know, the pitching will, you know, come up and, uh, uh, you know, Garrett Cole, obviously one of the best pitchers in the game. They have a solid bullpen, and uh, I think this team is going to do some damage this year. What was it like getting to play in your first World Baseball Classic? I just think the World Baseball Classic is so cool, and getting ready to, and getting being able to represent your nationality and your country. What was that like for you? It was very special. Uh, every time I had an opportunity to represent my country. Uh, playing the sport that I, you know, obviously uh, grew up playing. Uh, you know, there's one thing, you know, to play for New York and to play, you know, for the fans uh, in, in Yankee Stadium and all over the country. Uh, but it's a, uh, I think it has a little bit of a different feel when you are doing all of that, representing the country that you were born. Uh, and, uh, and everybody has all these great expectations, you know, you know, your island, you know, your people and uh uh, they're putting all that, you know, uh, stake and, and all that uh, hope uh, in the team. 
uh, and you you feel it, you know, you feel it in your heart, and you want to do this because you want to represent your island, your country, uh, and uh, against all these like great countries, you know, that are playing baseball as well. Uh, it was always a uh, to me. I think I played two or three of those, uh, and it was always a very special and uh, very special for me as a player. And uh, having that opportunity to, uh, you know, I, I, it was just great. I mean, one of those. Uh, uh, classics I played after I retired from the Yankees, uh, try to, you know, maybe try to make a little bit of a comeback. But uh, other than that, I mean, it was just, it was just great to have the opportunity to represent my country. Uh, and uh, I will do it over and over again if I had to do it. So I want to switch gears into your post career and into your music. But before we do that, before we switch gears there, I ask everybody some career moment type questions. So just three, three questions from your career. Uh, and the first one is what was your welcome to the MLB moment? My welcome to the MLB moment. Uh, man. Whew. I think it was um, going into the airport. <laughs> And having somebody carry my bags <laughs> for me, <laughs> saying, what can I do for you, Mr. Williams? You know, welcome to New York. Uh, to me, that was my welcome to the big leagues moment. You know, uh, up until that point, you know, being in the minor leagues, it was all about, you know, carrying yourself, you know, making sure that you have all your accommodations and talking about, you know, making arrangements for yourself. Once you got to the big leagues, it was a whole different game. Uh, you know, you could focus more on your, you know, trying to get your skill level and uh, try to make sure that you prepare yourself to be at your best and not really worry about all this ancillary stuff. Uh, so to me, that was the moment that I said, oh, my God, this is great. I will never <laughs> want to go back down. <laughs> this is where I want to stay. Uh, what is your most memorable play on the field? That's a hard one, man. I think, you know, I'm going to have to go back. There's so many. And I, it, it's kind of unfair to try to pin it down to one. But I would probably say, you know, making the last out in the 2000 World Series. That was, you know, the one moment that, uh, you know, the, the whole baseball world was, their eyes were upon us. Uh, and making that last out, uh, you know, to me, sort of epitomized, you know, the, the, you know, the success that we had as an organization, playing, the, uh, you know, a local team, uh, in the biggest stage that we could ever play, you know, in the sport. Uh, and making that last out was, you know, to me was uh, the one thing that I will uh, never forget. You know, it's like, wow, this is like the world is watching. We were able to make it happen. And I made the last out, you know, on the World Series. So, I mean, it can get, it cannot get any better than that. And lastly, what is a memory that sticks out to you from your career that took place off of the baseball field? With teammates, um, with teammates. With teammates. Yes. Um, I think I'm going to have to go back to 2001 uh, when we were uh, asked to uh, make some appearances in to, throughout the city after the tragic events of 9-11. Uh, uh, all the professional teams in uh, sport teams in New York uh, made, uh, you know, appearances at hospitals, uh, the Javits Center, you know, places where we had firemen. EMS, you know, doctors, uh, and I remember going to a place called the Armory, where they were, uh, I mean, this is a little bit of a, 
uh, a little bit graphic, but uh, I think it's poignant to say uh, they were uh, basically accumulating all the artifacts that they would find uh, in uh, you know the uh, premises of you know where the twin towers were, and uh, they were looking for people to you know submit. Uh, uh, artifacts so they can actually match their DNA for, you know, uh, from things that they were finding. And uh, it was such a somber, uh, you know, kind of thing to go through. Uh, but I think, you know, for about half hour, 20 minutes to half hour, the whole attitude in the place uh, changed when uh, everybody started saying, the Yankees are here, the Yankees are here. Uh, and I remember uh, talking to uh, this lady uh, and uh, I said to her, I mean, I don't know what to sell. I don't know what to tell you, and I don't know what to say, say to you. But I think you need a hug. In that moment, you know, uh, it was just a moment that I will never forget. Uh, uh, outside of baseball, uh, in uh, that kind of a uh, support, and uh, and uh, just giving these people something else to think about, uh, rather than you know their own situation at the time, uh, it was just incredible to be a part of an. Uh, uh, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I have no, still have no words to describe, you know, the moment that I, yeah, those moments, you know, feeling, uh, being supportive and uh, being in New York at that time. Yeah, man, that, that's incredible. Uh, so, so I did, I wanted to switch into your, your music and you have a huge love of, of music and you yourself are an incredible musician. Where did that start? Where did your love of guitar start? My love of guitar started listening to my father at night when I was about seven or eight years old. He was a merchant marine and he traveled all over the world and he brought a Spanish guitar, a flamenco guitar with him from his travels. And uh, when he retired, he decided that we were gonna settle in Puerto Rico uh, to you know, raise us as a family. Uh, one of the things that he used to do was uh, at night, late at night, I mean, we'd say late at night and I mean like, nine or 10, because we were up at five in the morning every day, <laughs> nine or 10, he would go out in, in the darkness of the living room and he would like uh, take his guitar and uh, would start playing, uh, you know, from, you know, he sort of taught himself a little bit how to play. And I remember uh, listening to him. And one of those nights I went to him and asked him if he could teach me. Uh, and to my surprise, you know, I thought he was going to go back to bed. You need to wake up early. But he said, oh, of course. And he taught me my first couple of uh playing chords and from that moment on this light uh, bulb went up in my head and uh, you know I started this great love affair with music and specifically uh, specifically with the guitar that has lasted uh, up, up, up until this day uh, and uh, that was a pretty a sweet moment and uh, I will never forget it. In 2011 you wrote a book called Rhythms of the Game and I took away this this point that you said, which I found very interesting. You you talk about the symmetry between hitting and, and the game of baseball and the rhythm of music. Talk about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the book was basically designed to find this correlation between uh, all the aspects of playing uh, on stage with musicians and uh, and having that correlation of playing on the field uh, on a professional baseball game, you know, in front of 50,000 people. Uh, and uh, you're trying to draw that parallel, uh, starting with the preparation uh, for both disciplines. I, I needed to feel that I was prepared. 
And in baseball was, you know, you go through my all my routines of uh, soft toss, you know, batting practice, you know, defense and all that uh, and to make sure that I was in a clear mindset saying, OK, I'm ready. And so in music was the same thing, playing my arpeggios, my scales, my uh, all, you know, the work that I needed to do musically uh, to be ready to play in a concert, you know, playing through my music and uh, interacting with, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the musicians in the band. Uh, and then having to make a, a sort of a, a, you know, a thing called music, uh, going out there and playing out in front of people. Uh, and you have, you know, one chance to make it right. There's no do-overs. Once the ball comes uh, into your, you know, thing, you know, when you're trying to hit it, you cannot call time out and say, okay, do over. The same thing in music. Once you play a note and you send it out into the universe, uh, there's no way of bringing it back. So uh, it, it was just a matter of... Uh, Kind of coming into terms into your preparation, dealing with adversity, uh, having this sort of great uh, uh, work ethic, uh, and feeling uh, sure that you were ready to go and uh, trusting that preparation. Uh, so the book talks about you know that process and how, what what it was for me to be part of that, and uh, the fact that I was able to take some of the things that I learned in music at a very early age, and uh, get them into my training uh, as a baseball player and then taking some of the experiences that I had as a baseball player playing in the big leagues and bringing them down to, uh, you know, playing on stage, you know, playing under pressure, uh, you know, having this, uh, you know, this thing that you have to do it one time and you have one chance to make it right. Uh, and just having translated that into uh, playing on stage, you know, when you're playing, you know, and everybody is like looking at your fingers the lights, the spotlight is on you, and it's like, okay, let it rip. You know, this is what it is. <laughs> and, and once you get to that moment, it's the culmination of all the hard work that you have done, and you're putting, uh, you put yourself in a position to be successful by uh, working hard and preparing yourself and making sure that you have all those uh, things in place. What was the experience like playing with Mark Anthony in, in 2000 at the All-Star Game? Man, that was amazing. That was amazing. Mark <laughs> Anthony at the time, I mean, he was a... He, he was an up, uh, you know, like one of the, you know, stars uh, in the uh, in the music industry, uh, and that, you know, for that matter, not only Mark Anthony, but I've had the opportunity to play with uh, a whole lot of great people, you know, people that I've said, hey, I, you know, I am a, a musician, but I was also a New York Yankee. And, uh, you know, I've been a fan of you for years and years and years. And then they, they go back and say, well, I'm a musician. I've been doing this, but I've been a fan of baseball for <laughs> years and years. I've been a fan of you and uh, the Yankees and all that stuff. So it's like this mutual respect and, and admiration for each other's uh, uh, careers that, you know, it, to me, that was my opening, uh, you know, my opening door to this great world of uh, music where I had the opportunity to... Uh, play with a, a, a lot of great people and interacting with uh, 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 with a lot of great musicians just because I had that this great opportunity prior to that uh, playing uh, professional sports uh, with the New York Yankees. Bernie, tell us all about the Breathless Ballad Challenge. Well, the Breathless Ballad Challenge is something that makes me uh, very excited to talk about because it's all about my dad. My dad uh, passed away in 2001 due to a rare uh, disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is basically a scarring of your lung tissue. It could be misdiagnosed because it's a respiratory uh, illness 
uh, and it could be uh, you know confused with other things that uh, may not uh, be that you know like uh, COPD and uh, asthma and bronchitis and all these all the respiratory uh, conditions. But there's certain parameters that uh, you can tell uh, when it's uh, IPF, uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. This is a terminal disease. My dad uh, passed away from it, and. Uh, in 2001, I was uh, fortunate enough to write a tune for him uh, called Para Don Berna. Uh, my, my dad's name is just the same as mine, Bernabe, in, uh, in Spanish. Uh, but we used to call him uh, Berna as a term of endearment. So I wrote that tune for him uh, probably about 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, this year, uh, uh, we had this uh, really interesting idea to put lyrics to the uh, to the tune because he was originally thought of as a uh, as an instrumental tune. Uh, so this year we had this great idea to uh, put lyrics to it. So we uh, uh, put it out to the public who started submitting uh, lyrics to the tune, uh, and uh, that was such a great uh, process. You know, we had uh, more than seventy entries. Uh, we were able to narrow it down to. Uh, Five, and that was basically the breathless ballot challenge. When we're uh, now, we are in the process to pick the one uh, lyrics, set of lyrics that is going to be the one that we're going to put into the song. Uh, and uh, it's very exciting. You know, it's a it's a tune that was composed uh, to be a tribute for my dad and uh, showed the gratitude that I had for his life and everything that he did for us. Uh, he was my hero. He was the guy that taught me how to play baseball, taught me how to play music, and he really introduced me to this great uh, set of values that he tried to instill in me up to this day. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, give it back to him and pay this tribute. Uh, and now it's kind of gone on on this sort of uh, next level thing where where we got lyrics uh, supporting the music. Now we have a, a, a panel of ten judges uh, uh, from all walks of, uh, you know. Life, you know, we have Queen Latifah, we have Paul Schaefer, we have the Bacon Brothers, we have, you know, people from uh, uh, poets and uh, people from the, uh, the sports uh, uh, industry. Uh, in uh, Willie Randolph, one of my mentors and uh, a former Yankee player as well, and all these people were, you know, uh, basically examining and listening to the lyrics and figuring out which one they were going to choose. And it has been so hard to choose one because they're all great gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching lyrics, you know, that talk about their own experiences, either with IPF for themselves or people that they love that have uh, basically uh, experienced the same thing that my dad was experiencing. We're going to record the, the song with the brand new set of lyrics, you know, in a professional manner. And uh, I, I think it's going to be really exciting and still uh, bringing uh, uh, awareness to this uh, rare disease that not a lot of people know about. And uh, I think it's going to help a lot of people. So I'm very excited to uh, talk about it. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I would be remiss if I don't ask you, Bernie, if you have a guitar near you, you got anything you can play for me? <laughs> I do not have a guitar near me at this point. But I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I think you're going to have to you're going to have to go see me uh, play one of my concerts, man. I, I think you will probably have a great you, time. Bernie, you got yourself uh, a deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to come to one of your concerts and I'm going to hit you up and I'm going to come see you play at a concert. All right. Awesome, man. Let me know, man, if you, have, if you have an open invitation. All right, I appreciate it, man. Bernie, thank you so much. One last thing before I let you go. Did you know 
that this year is the 25 anniversary of you being on Seinfeld? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. That was, I mean, that was a different conversation, man, but that was just, uh, that, that was just amazing to have the opportunity to do that with that. Actually, my teammate, Derek Jeter, was part of that thing. And we had such a blast. Uh, and I, from time to time, I see the reruns, you know, uh, on it. And I see uh, sometimes, you know, people call me, hey, I saw you on TV on Psycho, like 20, <laughs> 25 years later. It's like, dude, yeah, dude, I, I did look a lot younger back then. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a blast, man. It's such a great honor to be part of that uh, great show. Uh, and it has legs. You know, I still see it to this day. That's awesome. Bernie, thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been a blast. Uh, thank you so much. And I'm going to come to a concert. I'll see you at a concert someday. I got to come watch you play. You're incredible, man. You've I'm going to hold you to that. All right, deal. <laughs> You've had, you had an incredible career and, and everything, and you're awesome. continuing that with your music. So thank you so, so much for joining me, my friend. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me and having the opportunity to talk about uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Of course. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. And thank you again, Bernie Williams, for joining me. An absolute legend, guys. A Yankee legend. So thank you. And that was a blast having him on. Let's transition into the hotline questions where you guys call me and voice your concerns or ask me anything you want. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, so make sure you're calling in at 213-537-9339 so you can be featured on the show. So Rick, Hit me with the first question. Hello. What do you think about Carlos Correa's struggles during a contract year? Thanks, Ben. I love the pod. Uh, perfect. Good question. Thank you for calling it in. Um, look, baseball is very, very mental, as, I, as I've talked about a good bit. And, and I don't think people watching the game quite realize that. Um, look, it's a game where you're struggling uh, and where you're failing 70% of the time, and that's good. That's a good thing if you're failing 70% of the time. That takes a toll on you mentally. It really does. It's a game full of struggle. Um, it's a game where you're walking up to the plate and you see your numbers up on the scoreboard right in front of you every single time. So when you start struggling, when you really start struggling, it's tough, man. It's tough to get out of. It, uh, it, it takes a toll on you. You take it home with you. You come, to the day that, you come to the park the next day, and it sticks with you. It sticks with you when you get into the box. And look, the fact that it's a contract year, even more so. He's putting so much pressure on himself to be good, to be great, because he's seeing all these guys get paid around him. Look at this Lindor contract. Look at this contract. Look at this guy. It puts so much pressure on you, especially in a contract year. So you already have that. You have a few games in a row where you're struggling. That's tough on you mentally. And then you know in the back of your head that it's a contract year as well. Look, it's just a funk. Correa's going to rake. We all know he'll be okay. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough stretch to go through, and it's tough on you mentally. So thank you for the question. Rick, next. Hey, Ben. What do you think of the Hunter Strickland trade? And does he become the new closer in Anaheim, or would it still be Iglesias? Thank you for the question. The Hunter Strickland trade uh, out there in Anaheim now for the Angels. I love it. I love it. And, and to answer your question about who's going to be closer, I think, we'll, I think we'll watch that play out in front of our eyes. I don't think I can sit here right now and say, 
Strickland, Hunter Strickland is the new closer, or Iglesias will remain the closer. I don't think we know. Um, I think Iglesias is going to continue to to get a, a shot, and and I think they, I think we'll let them pick who is going to be the closer of the future. But but one big thing is that it's never a problem having a closer battle. It's never a problem having to decide, well, who's going to be our closer. It's always a good thing. So the fact that you're even calling in and asking who's going to be the closer is a very good thing for the Angels because, as we know, they desperately need the pitching. You know, they, they have two of the top MVP odds guys in the league with Trout and Otani, and their, their best pitcher is also Otani. <laughs> so they need some guys to step up for them and 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 be good out of the bullpen because they're too talented on offense to be a last place team or a bottom of the division type of team. So I really like this signing for the Angels. Uh, Hunter Strickland now with the Los Angeles Angels. So thank you guys for your questions. Again, the number is 213-537-9339. Make sure you're getting those questions in every week. I have a blast answering them for you guys on the show. So thank you to you guys again that called in. But speaking of Otani and the Angels, we got a new segment here. And it's totally and solely about Shohei Otani this week in Otani News. Shohei Otani is probably my favorite player right now. I've talked about it a bunch. Not probably, he is, okay? My brother's not playing right now, so I, I get a pass, especially now. He's my favorite player. He is incredible. This week, we saw him start on the mound and the very next day, he hit leadoff for the Angels. The first time since 1916. Now, I'm no math expert, but that seems to be over 100 years. That's pretty impressive. He also, this week, in Boston, in Fenway Park, one of the most historic stadiums ever, with two outs in the ninth, down to their last out, down a run, hits a bomb to right field, wins the game for the Angels. Really, <laughs> he's clutch too. The man does it all. And he was also supposed to start early this week, but his start has been pushed to tomorrow, as in Wednesday. So that'll be another much-watched TV. Look, this guy is must-watch television. Every single time he takes the field, he's doing something that hasn't been done in over 100 years. The man is incredible. I wrote earlier this week for FoxSports.com about being a two-way player as he is. I did it at the college level. And if you had asked me then, is it possible to do this at the big league level as well as he is doing, I would have said no. It is impossible. I know what goes into it every day. It's pretty much putting in the effort on two different sides, as a pitcher and as a position player. And it becomes impossible to do it as well as possible at both. It feels like you're divvying up your time and you're picking and choosing what you think is most important and what you have to do. Sure, I'll go take batting practice. Sure, I need to throw my bullpen now, but you're missing a lot of stuff. And what Shohei Otani is doing, he's not just doing it at the big league level. He's doing it at an all-star level from each side of the field at the big league level. It is absolutely insane what Shohei Otani is doing, and I cannot stress that enough. And that is why we are starting a segment on our show called This Week in Otani News, because he is that 
newsworthy every single time Shohei Otani takes the field. All right, so that is my Shohei Otani news. Let's get into six tool player of the week. And a lot of you might say, why isn't it Otani? Well, let me explain to you again what six tool player of the week is. It's not stat based at all. I, I mean, yeah, if you play well that week, you're going to do more good things to be exciting on the field. But that is what it's about. Being exciting, being fun, flipping your bats, swinging 3-0. It is super fun to watch. And obviously, Otani is always fun to watch. But another player this week that I wanted to showcase for this week's six-tool player of the week is a shortstop for the Chicago White Sox, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson had an incredible week, one, at the plate, but he hit a home run earlier this week, or on last week, on Thursday. Thursday night, leading off the game. Thursday afternoon, hits a homer, an absolute bomb to left field. He just walked out of the box. Look, Tim Anderson is kind of like the guy that was, was behind this entire premise of the show, flipping bats. Tim Anderson brought it back. Last year, two years ago, he comes on the scene, he's hitting bombs, he's throwing his bat. He, he, he almost started the whole process of, of these bat flips. It gets the conversation going, and then it's like, guys, you know, pile on top of it. Wait, this is fun. This is baseball. Baseball is flipping our bats. It's having fun. It's like playing, playing wiffle ball in the backyard. If I hit a homer off of you, what am I going to do? I'm going to chuck my bat into oblivion and run the bases because it's fun. And that's what Tim Anderson has. He has fun playing the game of baseball. You know what happened this week that I loved more than anything else he did? He hit 400 on the week. He hit a bomb. He had fun around the bases. You know what I liked more than anything? There was a game earlier this week where time was called at the last second by the umpire. The pitcher was already in his windup. Pitcher goes to throw it home still, but he throws it halfway up the backstop because the pitch doesn't matter. Tim Anderson jumps up in the air as high as he could and swings at the ball like, like you would have seen in Little League. <laughs> it was great. So this week's six-tool player of the week is Tim Anderson. And please, watch this guy play baseball. It's fun. It's electric. He has fun playing this game. It's a kid's game at the end of the day. And he embodies playing it fun and having fun out there. So this week's six-tool player of the week Tim Anderson. All right, guys, that is it for this week's episode of Flippin' Bats. I wanted to thank Pedro Mora for joining me talking about pool holes. I really wanted to thank Bernie Williams, the absolute legend, for joining the show. And uh, the new segment this week in Shohei Otani news, that's going to be big. I love Shohei Otani, so I can't wait to talk about him every single week. But, guys, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere and make sure you're following on all social media platforms we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on youtube where you can watch the full episode on video so make sure you're doing all that and we will see you next time on flipping bats it's a blowout in 10-3 bases are loaded for verlander who waits out a real pitch he swings and it's a high fly ball deep center field it is gone home run and a huge bat flip to celebrate.